0: Hey everybody, quick disclaimer before you listen to this episode, me and Jasmine had a lot of audio issues, we had mic issues, and we ended up having to share a mic, so you will hear the sound going up and down, we are passing the mic back and forth, I am also talking with my face too close to the microphone fairly often, and Jasmine is very (laughs) soft-spoken, so apologies, but... It is a good story, and I think the more that you listen to it, you will get used to the audio. So quick little disclaimer, apologies, and uh, yeah, enjoy.
1: You are listening to Perplexity.
0: Welcome back to Perplexity, a mystery podcast. I'm Kadra and today we have
1: Jasmine.
0: Jasmine's one of my best friends and I'm so excited you're here,
1: Jasmine. Um, (laughs) I'm excited to be here.
0: Yes, and we are having to share a mic.
1: We have had some technical
0: difficulties.
1: (laughs) But we're back and we're gonna make this episode pretty awesome. I'm really excited. (laughs)
0: Yeah, we've got a really weird story for you guys today. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about Biosphere 2.
1: What is Biosphere 2?
0: I would love to tell you. In 1991, in Tucson, Arizona. History was made because eight scientists would embark on an incredible, unique, two-year-long journey.
1: In space?
0: Here on Earth. (laughs) But it was meant to mimic going to outer space.
1: Okay. with I mean, I guess you'll get into it.
0: Yes, of course. Yeah. So they, they would call the experiment Biosphere 2 because they considered planet Earth to be Biosphere 1. And the purpose of the project was to learn more about Earth, about climate change, and basically see like if we could potentially move life here on Earth to space someday if need be. Oh really complicated yeah it was a a very long project they had to do tons of research um, and there were quite a few bumps along the way so these scientists called themselves biospherians and they lived the next two years of their life uh, in this bubble essentially working together to sustain life in this airtight terrarium and it was supposed to be eight stories tall made of steel and glass so it's it's huge it's massive it was I think like three and a half acres
1: oh wow
0: yeah so it took them years and years to build it and the life that would be sustained inside would be theirs of course and then also thousands of different animal and plant species and where in the world was this? Tucson Arizona mm-hmm. yeah so it's really interesting the but because this would be airtight Uh, this would mean that like the oxygen that they would need to breathe and the carbon dioxide that would be emitted as well would be like what they started with once everything was sealed up that's what they had yeah no it really is like there's actually um i can't remember what it's called but there's a movie that was made based on this and i think it's like a parody but there there's been like movies made about stuff like this for sure and some of that they think may have inspired the biospherians to like do this in the first place basically they would have to use special machinery and technology to make sure that they wouldn't suffocate because everything's sealed off so it's a good practice for like being in outer space so when the scientists finally built everything which we'll talk a lot more about this in a minute but when they were finally ready to venture into biosphere 2 it drew this huge crowd there was tons of media attention and the four men and women in their matching jumpsuits waved goodbye to a cheering crowd as if they were about to launch into outer space upon entering the biosphere the scientists immediately approached a camera inside and you can see this on the documentary. There's a documentary about this on Hulu. It's it's pretty well done, but it's definitely biased, which we'll get into. It's called Spaceship Earth by Matt Wolf. That's who directed it. So, you can see them like walking up to the camera. All of this is there's video footage of like this whole experience. So that's pretty interesting. And one of the scientists walks up to the camera and they they talk pretty strangely. He's like The experimenter enters the experiment in the grand tradition. (laughs) And then another was like, this is an incredible moment. The future is here. And like, that's literally how she talks. This
1: really does sound like a book. Like, it doesn't sound real at all. Right. I know.
0: (laughs) I'll have to show you some photos of them. So to better understand all of this, why this is so historical, what led up to this, you have to understand how all of these people came to meet each other so we'll go back a couple of decades to one day when 17 year old Kathleen gray of san francisco left her apartment she locked the front door and she noticed a new neighbor an older man she'd never seen before and he started Talking to her, engaging in conversation. How's it going? What are you doing? This is the way that Kathleen Gray explains this in the documentary. It's really weird. So she says that he asks her what she's doing, and she pulled a book out of her bag and told the man, I want to do what's in this book. To a random person? Yeah, to a random person yeah. she's never met before. <laughs> and the book was called Mount Analog by Renee Demol and in the book, a group of people go to an island that could not be found on any map. Kathleen had big dreams and she really wanted to explore the world. And this mysterious neighbor told her, forget the book because that's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, so again, like this conversation just seems like really intense all of a sudden for no reason. But this man that she was talking to was a man named John Allen, who we're going to hear a lot about throughout this story. John Allen was a lot of things. He was an inventor. He was an engineer. He was an adventurer and he would later become the executive chairman of Biosphere 2. Now I feel like there must have been a lot more to this conversation. Like we said, it just yeah, seems
1: it seems like a weird conversation to be having for the first time with someone that you've only just
0: met. Yeah. And again, like that's how Kathleen Gray explains it in the documentary, but it just it seems really <laughs> it seems really weird. And the way that she like talks about John Allen too, like she makes him sound like mythical like she seems like entranced by him yes there are definitely some cult vibes in this story that we will talk about and kathlyn and john of course become good friends keep in mind she's 17 at this point and he was much older than her i'm not sure how much older but It seems inappropriate like from what i was finding he was at least nine or ten years older and she's 17. like i feel this way too because basically as soon as kathlyn turned 18 john allen a bunch of his friends and her all moved in together into this apartment yeah kind of like commune living it's the 70s so like this was more common back then but still like it's just kind of weird and This group of friends is living this communal life. They built really good relationships. They're super close with each other. They all had like really big dreams too, but there was like no direction. Like they'd be like, oh, we could go to the moon. We could star in a movie. Like they would see these crazy things, but then it's like, there's no plan they didn't know if they should go head first into like the arts because they were all really passionate about theater and painting dance um, and then others were more practical and they were like we should do like something with business like but they wanted to pursue something together as a collective group they just started trying everything <laughs> first they set up their own theater and they called it the theater of all possibilities and they would put on these productions and they also would get into filmmaking uh eventually though the group wanted to get out of san francisco and in the documentary on hulu they say that it's because san francisco was like very like there's a lot of capitalism there's a lot of commercialism uh, it's very materialistic and they wanted to like live off of the land they, they basically wanted to like learn how things worked, why they worked that way, and they wanted to like learn how to grow their own food. Like they wanted to be self-sustained. They decided to go from San Francisco to New Mexico, which isn't too far from Tucson. And this is in 1969. So think about in 1969, we went to the moon. Oh. Yeah. So I think that that had a lot to do with kind of their trajectory with all of this, in my opinion. They bought a ranch there. They called it Synergia Ranch, and they started growing their own food. They all had different chores. They took care of the ranch and like this team effort, but they were also still really passionate about the arts. So they kept doing theater. They would write and put on their own plays they actually started like writing other things together too they wrote a magazine together and they called it the home earth catalog and it had essays articles product reviews and it was about ecology and being like self-sufficient uh holism and there was like a lot of alternative education in it as well
1: it's pretty impressive that they were able to gather together as a community and make all of this
0: yeah no I agree like when I was watching the documentary it is very inspiring you're like wow like these young college-age kids and like even teenagers they're like figuring out how to just do everything for themselves it's pretty cool they would write basically essays articles product reviews and while they were writing this they were of course inspired by the works of other people there was this author named buck minister fuller who wrote spaceship earth and this book was about ecological survival and it it, it pioneered the idea of a geodesic dome so okay. biosphere 2 right so another source i read too said that like they met buck minister fuller i don't know how they did that because apparently this guy was really well known but like he like built a dome like a model and like showed them how to do it they were just very determined people and i think a lot of these people too like they don't really fully say it but i think a lot of them were pretty wealthy and like had come from good universities and but then they're like running around free and they can just kind of figure things out because they can afford to
1: about to say like they have a lot of resources
0: yeah but at the same time it's like they are self-sufficient too so but they had good connections and basically this geodesic dome it was this man-made design humans could survive in it despite there being like unlivable conditions on the outside so like it could theoretically work in like space like on mars So they were pretty fascinated by this, and they were inspired by his book when they wrote their catalog. John Allen, who his friends called Johnny, had an an enigmatic and charismatic personality. I
1: feel like people in these types of stories always do. Like, the leader always does. Yes, yes. So
0: he would definitely become the leader. (laughs) Uh, All of his friends were super fond of him. They said he was, like, really easy to talk to. Um, he quickly did become the leader of the group for the ranch project. But Johnny would say in the documentary that the group was very democratic. Everybody equally contributed. Everybody made decisions. They, yes, looked to him as the leader, but it was always up to them. That's what he claimed. All the people on this ranch, like I said, they were really intelligent. They were well read. They would spend tons and tons of time reading and they all had really good education backgrounds. if you guys listened to my rajneesh puram episode about the cult wild wild country and everything we talked about how cults want educated intelligent people that can contribute so that kind of stuck out to me yeah. as well And there are like a lot of opinions on whether this was a cult or not, so we'll talk about that, but I just thought that was interesting. Many of them also left behind successful careers to go live on this ranch. Uh, And eventually, because the ranch was going so well, they're like, wow, Like we could take these projects and we could do them throughout the US, we could take them throughout the world. But, in order to do that, they would have to be able to get across the water. So, they had another big project. They wanted to build a ship. A
1: ship? I mean, I guess with all of them being highly educated, it doesn't seem too far off.
0: Yeah, no, and I mean like they were just so determined. They and this is another thing they said in the documentary a lot is like all of these things they had never done before. They just were so determined to figure them out by 1974 johnny allen was ready to take these projects throughout the world they left their ranch in new mexico and they drove to california on the coast and they started building this ship i'm not just talking about like a kayak or a canoe or even a sailboat picture noah's ark this thing was massive like it's very impressive um i'll pull up a picture of it they called it the heraclitus
1: like the full pirate ship <laughs> yeah and
0: it's, it's very long too like you can't really tell from this picture but it was it was massive and when they're building it in the documentary they have like these huge ladders that they're climbing up and down like it was a big boy i mean you can see like from him being there how tall it was yeah. too one of the members of the project was a girl named margaret augustine and she served as the architect she had no experience as an
1: architect (laughs) no
0: but she she's so she's 19 first of all she's only 19 and she figured it out like she drew blueprints and it turned into that so like
1: how do you figure out building a ship
0: (laughs) i mean how do you figure out anything (laughs) like everyone had a job like they figured out how to measure things they you know would run tests and stuff they're all again very well educated and they have nothing but time like they're young um I guess it's not
1: like they were completely like like yeah internet wasn't uh, was internet around in the 70s i have no idea no i don't think so but they had like libraries yeah other resources
0: yeah they read tons and tons of books yeah Yeah. no it's it's pretty crazy so she's only 19 and there was another guy named freddie dempster in the group and he was also really young and he learned celestial navigation which for those of you who don't know, which I didn't, um, this is the science of finding your way throughout the world using only what's above you, the sun, the moon, the stars. So in the documentary, like, he has these giant maps and these, like, he's drawing these angles and he's, like, trying shit and he's basically figuring out, like, how to constantly know where you are in space in case you ever get lost so, like, when they're sailing, they can you know make their way around yeah
1: i mean that's really impressive that's an ancient technique but it works
0: yeah no and i mean it can save your life too if you were to ever get stranded uh the group worked constantly they worked 24 hour shifts day and night to get the ship built as quickly as they could and they they did and soon enough it was launch day so it was time to see if this would finally work So they got a towboat to like pull the ship out into the water. And there was a really high tide that day, like really crazy waves. So they were kind of nervous, but it was safe enough to sail. And they like just wanted to go as soon as possible. They're so ready at this point. The tugboat pulls it out and the bow of the ship goes up. And then everyone's super nervous. But then it it flattens out and it's working it's sailing it's floating and they were super excited in the documentary they're like running around they're screaming they're laughing they're on the boat they're like crying super overcome
1: with emotion yeah i mean hey you built A boat all by yourself. That that is really impressive. It's
0: pretty cool. Yeah. And it was very, like, monumental for the group. And I, like, watching it, it seems like a very pivotal point because this is kind of when they realized, like, wow, like, we can do anything together. We set our mind to. Yeah. Yeah. But just as quickly as they learned how the ship is going to work, now they have to learn how to sail. They don't know how to sail no so that's the other thing that's like chaotic about this group is like yes they figure things out and they're determined and they do figure things out but they're always learning it as they go and you'll see that throughout the story Get pretty reckless though yes (laughs) yes it can especially when you're like dealing with lack of oxygen and stuff like we were talking about with the biosphere too so they're learning all of this for literally the first time but they sailed from san francisco to the golden gate bridge like this little trip uh the tide was still really high but the waves were getting bigger and bigger as they got to golden gate bridge they were like up to 30 feet and they didn't have things like tied down correctly the ships going everywhere i i would be puking <laughs> at this point and their radar fell into the ocean but in the documentary they say nobody was worried, like they they knew that they could figure it out. And they did.
1: Yeah, history seems to keep showing that.
0: They're nothing if not confident. <laughs> <laughs> so they have this new ship and they sailed all around the world and they've made businesses along the way to make money because keep in mind, like they need money for food, self-sufficiency. They can't really grow things while they're on a ship. And because they're all well educated, they're able to create these little businesses. I'm not sure what specifically, but uh, during this time, they were still running their ranch too. And then, like, while they were on the ranch, is my understanding, they meet this guy named Ed Bass. Are you familiar with
1: Bass Hall?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, are you familiar with the Bass family of Fort Worth, Texas?
1: Yes, I went to school with one of them. Did you really?
0: Oh, shit. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember, and I feel bad because a listener told me about the Bass family and was, like, explaining all these connections, and, like, a lot of people allegedly say that the Bass family is very corrupt.
1: Allegedly. Allegedly. It's my opinion.
0: And... So I just thought that was interesting. Like, his name happened to pop up as I was researching the story. And I was like, oh, my gosh, B. Ed Bass. So for those of you who don't know and are not, like, Texas natives, Bass uh, was a millionaire or a billionaire B, excuse me. A billionaire with a B. He came from a very prominent family in Fort Worth. Yeah, represent. Uh, they had a lot of money tied up in, like, oil, yes a lot of old money for a moment we are going to take an important segue because like i said allegedly the bass family has had a lot of corruption involved in their life and uh the bass family for those of you who don't know like i said they're billionaires they literally run fort worth sundance square if that sounds familiar to fort worth natives bass hall like you were saying the Bass family owns all of those places. And a lot of people say that they have their hand in a lot of government, then, which would make sense if they're like running Fort Worth. Yeah, I mean,
1: I know like Lockheed Martin is a very big part of that. I don't know if that's relevant. But... Lockheed? Yeah. In Fort Worth? Uh huh. Oh, okay. So, I mean, they probably have a lot of money tied there too.
0: I've heard some allegedly <laughs> some sketchy things about Lockheed as well. So allegedly they have their hand in like a lot of government there some people say in law enforcement so there's a lot of um hairiness when it comes to the bass family they are also some of the wealthiest people in the united states um i think i read one article that said they're the fourth wealthiest family in the united states
1: i did not know that yes (laughs)
0: And I think this Forbes article I was reading is from 2020. Uh they had a net worth at that time at least of nearly 11 billion dollars. Wow.
1: Get that much money. Oh my god. I mean just
0: generations and generations of shared wealth.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's a lot of conspiracies about this family that we just we don't have time to get into, but just keep in mind they are insanely wealthy. They have tons and tons of resources and the biospherians or the future biospherians have just met ed bass so this is where two worlds collide we have this insanely wealthy well-established untouchable man and then we have these like college kids that have these huge dreams and they will do whatever it takes to get those dreams
1: connection to our own hometown (laughs) I know that
0: happens to me all the time too like I swear I don't do it on purpose you
1: don't mean to I don't mean
0: to guys but also like if a listener requests a story I will do it and a lot of my listeners are friends and family from Texas so they'll request things from there like a lot of people have asked me to do Waco the Davidian compound for example and then like Just a lot of, like, serial killers or true crime stories. Like, uh, Colin Davis, the second episode I did, he was from Texas. And then I found out my grandma used to be friends with him. I'm sure you didn't see that one coming. Uh, I did not. No. (laughs) (laughs) So, all that to say, I I don't do this on purpose. Like, he just, he came up. um, Texans are, they're wild. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so. Johnny's group is what I'm going to refer them as for now they meet Ed Bass they're still touring around the world and on their ship they would put on more theatrical productions (laughs) and in again in the documentary there's like footage of them doing these plays they're so camp they're so cheesy they have like face paint on colorful wigs they're like did you? Were you in theater? Yeah. Okay. So was I. So you you get it. Like <laughs> yeah. they're super in their feels. Everything's a huge deal.
1: So into it. Yeah. They're 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 true thespians. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of self
0: expression. Like, we, the weird. Did you guys do like weird theatrical warm ups, yeah. like where you're like rolling around and yeah. So there's like a lot of footage of them doing that, which I think further sparked in the media like oh, this is a cult, because, like, look how they're acting, and I'm like, I mean, they're thespians, like, we could argue that's a cult. Yeah, we
1: could argue that theater culture is a cult. <laughs> yeah,
0: so it's, it's complicated. They're doing all these productions, they also started doing conferences, though, so they have, like, these different personalities, where it's like, they have these artistic self-expressions in the theater, and then they're doing, like, these serious scientific conferences, because they're, again, So well read they are very big on living green and sustainable and so they're talking about different biomes like they're talking about deserts jungles planet earth as a whole um they're very concerned about climate change and so they're talking about that and like how we have a role in that and they talked about how the planet was on the verge of destruction yeah (laughs) and sustainability and acting quickly would be the key solution here so then they also started to present potential solutions they described an enclosed miniature world which would have thousands of species of life and eight people i don't know why they picked eight but they did that would sustain life long term sounds like the beginning of our story The idea has been presented by other writers in the past. So this was not their original idea. Uh, It was also seen in the 1972 film Silent Running, which they played clips of in this documentary. And it kind of looks like Star Trek. Yeah, It's like this young guy. There's like grass and rabbits and flowers, but he's like in a geodome in outer space. And he's like basically the last hope for man. So we see themes like this in film and again like we had just gone to the the moon so there was like a lot of popularity around space at this time and Johnny was also writing poetry during this time <laughs> So again like they're very artsy I don't really talk about this in my script, but, like, they all had little nicknames. So, like, Johnny called himself Johnny Dolphin when he would write these poems, and then, like, a lot of the Biospherians later, they had nicknames like Laser, Salty, Flash, and, like, it was too confusing to keep up with their true names and their nicknames, so I didn't reference all of those, but I just thought that was interesting. They had all these little nicknames for each other, which is common in cults. True. But he would call himself Johnny Dolphin when he'd write these poems. And in these poems, he would often write of Earth's impending doom and how humans would only survive if they continued life outside of planet Earth.
1: Okay, so they probably would want to figure that out before attempting to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, and
0: then also like there's different opinions on his writings. Like some people say his writings were like really dark and melancholy, you know. So again, kind of this creepy level of like was he tr- like was he foreseeing an end or yeah. At this point, we are in the mid-80s and Johnny has decided it's time to build biosphere 2, and this would be the first ever human designed fully scaled biospheric system there have been you know models in the past but no one had ever done a project like this and it would be 3.14 acres it included a variety of biomes because it wanted to mimic the earth So they would have marsh, they had deserts, they had a savanna, there was an ocean with a living coral reef inside and a rainforest. Hundreds of plants and animal species, gardens. And then they also had a lot of amenities for the humans. So there was a water park, (laughs) there was like a living common area. There was an exercise room, a library on like the very top floor and it's eight stories tall.
1: So it's an eight-story building within a dome?
0: I'll show you some photos. You, You have to see the photos. The photos are very impressive.
1: Okay, so it's a bunch of kind of circular buildings. I mean, I'm trying to even tell what all is happening here. Okay, yeah, so this
0: main structure in the middle, and I'll put these photos on Instagram and in the video, Um, this main structure in the middle my understanding is the library is up here and then down here they had all of like the plants um the like living quarters were up top wildlife like they had chickens they had goats that lived in like different stalls and stuff in this area i think these domes they had one that they called the lungs, and the lungs were supposed to like basically make sure that the oxygen levels were correct. Like they had a lot of machines. And then there was like this ground level that had tons of like pipes and like a water filtration system. Um, So like a lot of these buildings were more for like machinery, just how to make it all run basically. It has changed some. This is um, a present day map. You can
1: still go see it. Is it still functioning?
0: To a certain extent. It's not sealed off anymore because people go in and tour it and they need to be able to, like, not worry about oxygen. And they don't have, like, the animals in there anymore. They have, like, insects and stuff and, like, all the plants, but they have taken a lot of things out. But you can still go look at it. Cassidy, who I literally called earlier with that question, she has been here before. Yeah, she said it's really, really pretty. I want to go. And i was going to show you one more photo so you can see the inside. And again, this place is huge, but this will give you an idea.
1: Oh, whoa.
0: Yeah, so like...
1: It's like a giant greenhouse.
0: Yeah, exactly. There we go. That kind of gives you... So like all of these, um, the glass that you see, these were like individual panels. Oh for each thing because they had to make sure that it was completely sealed so this project took a really long time but i mean it's just this gorgeous green that a lot of people called it the garden of eden so of course this being such a huge project they're going to need a lot of help they wanted to make sure that the plants and animals that were there uh, that they would be able to sustain life so there were some animals that like they would consider putting in and they were like no like they wouldn't work well together or that's too dangerous or whatever Um, there were a lot of scientific consultants because of this so they would consult people from the Smithsonian University of Arizona the New York Botanic Gardens and Margaret Augustine that 19 year old that built heraclitus she was now the CEO and co-architect for biosphere 2 so she had a natural talent like she did a lot of the construction for this it's pretty impressive the chief financial officer was Marie Harding a longtime member of the group who had married Johnny and this is really weird In the documentary they talked to Marie quite a bit and in the documentary she said that when they met each other it was an immediate friendship it was completely platonic and that their marriage was business Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but she talks about, like, again, like how amazing he was and how intelligent he was. But she says that, like, they never saw each other in a romantic way. So I just thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah. More of like an alternative relationship. So she's the chief financial officer, though, for the project. And the final cost for the project was estimated to be $200 million. So this is a lot of money, obviously. Yeah. So this is where Ed Bass comes in. I was wondering where
1: they were getting all of this financing
0: from. Yes. (laughs) And Ed Bass would have tons to do in the press about this. Like, he really hyped up this project. So in the press, Bass said, quote, Creating Biosphere 2 as a business, keep that wording in mind, made sense for several reasons for one we thought it could be very profitable from the ecological point of view man is very much part of the problem i was able to put these together in my own personal interest and really become involved in ecological matters and keep in mind this man came from oil yeah so it's just really ironic to me that like you come from oil, old money. You're incredibly wealthy, and now he's claiming that he's
1: going green. I don't know, but when you said, "as a business," like that, that definitely took out the any sort of implication that this is for like the betterment of humanity. <laughs> and keep in
0: mind, they all met him on their on their ranch, Synergy Ranch. And I can't remember who said it, but in the documentary they said that, like, when they met him, he came across as, like, this humanitarian, philanthropist, like, this going green guy who just happened to have a lot of money. But, like, people, especially Fort Worth natives who know the Bass family, know that that's not the case. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> He is basically funding all of this. And in 1990, the group began to get the word out to the media that they were also seeking Biosphereian candidates. Who is going to actually go into the biosphere? Uh, Johnny Allen did not go.
1: Oh, that's surprising. I thought he would go. So
0: did I. <laughs> yeah, but he, he was older at this point. Um, And he still had a huge hand in the operation, but he did did not go in. He selected a dozen or so Biospherians in training. And he saw these people as basically like leaders and not followers. He wanted them to be free thinkers. He wanted them to be low stress, low anxiety. Couldn't be me. (laughs) (laughs) And he just basically wanted to teach them. Like, in their training, how to irrigate, how to garden, how to take care of animals. But, of course, being a thespian, they also had to know these theatrical warm-ups and exercises and take part in the theater. (laughs) <laughs> and again there's documentary like footage of all of this so the group would have to like run around they would roll on the ground they would scream at each other they would fake fight and pretend to like throw each other they'd dance around like wet noodles
1: for what purpose like i mean i get that they're they're trying to create a, a what is essentially like a, a better world environment but what that's all science what does it have to do with theater it's the theater (laughs)
0: yeah no i mean i i don't know honestly i think uh, it was just more of like this freedom of expression maybe to get them to relax but them doing things like this didn't help their case when people were starting to question cult-like activity Ah. like just because of like kind of how they were operating and then when people would meet them they would say they were like very eccentric like they were kind of odd They would also wear matching red jumpsuits, and then they had their first test. They built this smaller scale, like a mini version of Biosphere 2. The main one's already been built at this point, but they wanted to go in like this small testing system first, and it used the same machinery that they would plan to use in Biosphere 2. Uh, the biospherians would stay in this test chamber for a few weeks and this was successful now they felt like it was they were ready to move forward to launch day so the eight chosen biospherians i don't expect you to remember all of their names but i want to go ahead and list them all out here so we had roy walford jane pointer linda lee mark nelson Tabor McCallum, Sally Silverstone, which weird name, (laughs) Abigail Alling, a lot of alliteration going on here, and Mark Van Thillo.
1: Were any of these people from the original group?
0: Um, Good question. I think Mark Nelson was, but I honestly don't think the other ones were, but like they, some of them would end up being longtime friends. As far as, like, the original group goes, like I said, a lot of them would be involved in, like, the finances, the architecture, but I will, like, talk about these members a little bit more, and it does kind of talk about their past, and that's when you're like, oh, like, it makes sense that they would want to go do this. So, Sally Silverstone, she, they all have their own tasks, their own responsibilities on the project, right? So, Sally would manage the crew's day-to-day operations, and she had management experience. She had previously managed a mental hospital in India, and then in the documentary, she would, like, joke that did not compare to having to manage the Biospherians. (laughs) So she'd, like, joke that this was her hardest project. She was a huge lover of science fiction, and she loved the idea of living off of uh, Tabor McCallum was incredibly smart. He had a lot of knowledge, too, about closed systems, uh, like biodomes. So he was perfect to have on the team, obviously. He also had a lot of experience in diving, and he helped in a lot of the testing for the atmosphere and the soils. So he would run, like, a lot of the science experiments. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm really smart guy jane pointer was the field manager of agriculture so she loved animals she took care of the chickens the goats she would like monitor their behavior feed them bathe them all kinds of stuff there were also two couples in biosphere 2 upon entering so Taber and jane were a couple abigail alling and mark van theo were also a couple Mark Van Theo, I think his nickname was Laser, and he was a big fixer. He was kind of like the mechanic of the team. He apparently knew how to fix anything, is what they would say about him in the documentary. The lower level of the biosphere is where all those different pipes and controls were, so he knew that area like the back of his hand, and Abigail Alling, his partner was a marine biologist and she designed the ocean with the live coral reef and another thing I didn't really like type here but I thought this was interesting she helped like when they were putting the live coral reef together, she would, like, do dives in the ocean, and she would, like, select plants and, like, extract things and, like, test them to make sure that they could, like, live together and, like, grow in this ocean. Basically made this man-made live
1: coral reef. They found some really smart people. Yeah,
0: I know. It's really cool. Like, it is really cool, but... We'll get there. (laughs) There's a lot going on. A lot of different opinions.
1: This wouldn't be on your podcast if it was just a straightforward cool story. It never is, (laughs) baby. So,
0: okay. So then we get to Roy Walford, okay? So Roy was the doctor of the team. He also did a lot of research on basically how to like live a long life. He was in his 60s when he went into the experiment. I think he was the oldest one among the group. He was huge into like living organically, living insanely healthy, and he believed that he would live to be 120 Because of the way that he lived his life. Is he still alive now? (laughs) Ooh, good point. (laughs) Dr. Roy Walford, let's see. So he was born in. Wait, hold on. So he was born in 1924. He died in 2004. Yeah, so sorry, man. 40 years early. He was wrong. There's a photo. Does he? For like his age, yeah. To me it's giving skeleton
1: Uh, okay i can definitely see that
0: and there are like um he did a lot of like the video recording uh in the biosphere he had a camera and he'd like walk around and film everybody and there's like videos of him like working out and like flexing in the camera and when he like turns to the side he's like like emaciated and like I want to be clear here. I don't like commenting on people's bodies, but like, this is important to the story. I promise. So that's how he lived his life. Each week he would swim a couple of miles and then he would run another 10. So that's the crew. And this group was basically like, this is history in the making. It's also biblical. It's like, outer space meets garden of eden meets noah's ark because they're bringing in these groups of animals these plants and they're gonna sustain life as we know it like i said this is blowing up in the media and a professional pr firm from la was also hired during the project Uh, the group claimed in the documentary spaceship earth on hulu that this was in response to the unexpected media coverage Like, the story was blowing up so much that they felt the need to hire a PR firm to handle everything. But this also resulted in worldwide media coverage, so some people, like, speculate in—they've made allegations that this was at least partially done for attention and fame. I mean,
1: I feel like a lot of famous people, important people, like, like they want to be written into history, so—
0: I mean, sure. And, like, I mean, look, I'll be honest here. I'm a Scorpio. I love attention. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, if I busted my ass doing a project like this, I want the world to know about it.
1: Yeah, I I want the attention.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean, who's to say that, like, a lot of this wasn't Ed Bass, like, using his money and blowing up the story? Like, again, there's a lot of opinions here. So, but all that to say, like, this story was huge in the media. And this was during the 90s. So if any of you remember this, let me know. I am curious. I I need to ask my parents, too, if they remember this story. Because it it was very big. And apparently there were a lot of parodies about it, like, later on, like, on SNL and stuff. They're ready to launch, but they need uniforms. So wouldn't you know that the guy that used to design dresses for Marilyn Monroe would design their matching uniforms?
1: Wow. (laughs) That's nice. That's money. They're very fashionable and stylish.
0: And when they were getting interviewed, a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, it's like Star Trek. (laughs) So a lot of the people like literally saw them as like astronauts. So before they went into the biosphere, they wanted to basically get out these pre-show jitters and they were going to put on one last play. (laughs) They called the play The Wrong Stuff and the play was about basically anything and everything that could go wrong in Biosphere 2. So basically it's like the worst things that that could possibly happen, let's act them out and then psychologically it'll help us feel better about all this. That doesn't sound
1: wrong to do, I
0: guess. No, but they do like, they make jokes in the play about like them running out of air, they make jokes about like um, them starving to death they make jokes about them turning on each other them being angry all the time
1: I mean they were being monitored right
0: yes they were but basically like anything like with the machinery that they thought could go wrong the animals they like put it all in this play and the characters when I was watching it they seemed to be dressed like intergalactic creatures like very extreme makeup almost like Like drag like big features colorful wigs um they would put on this like huge festival too before they went into the biosphere so they hired dancers they had like circus performers there were fireworks so they put on this huge display before they go into the biosphere too yeah Now we've officially come full circle. It's launch day, September 26th, 1991, and the eight Biospherians enter Biosphere 2. The heavy metal door is locked behind them and the adventure begins. One of the first things they did was they turned the rain on to water all of the plants. Perhaps this was symbolic, being the first day they're washing their way, their old world, uh, that lay just outside the steel and glass. They could contact the old world, but this could only be by phone and by video. They couldn't have any physical contact with them for another 730 days. So this was meant to be a two-year mission. The crew worked incredibly long shifts day and night they're trying to make sure that the plants stay alive the animals are good machines are working properly obviously and they're growing their own food so it's not like they stockpiled a bunch of stuff like they're literally living off the land just like they did on synergy ranch or the other people did that are on the outside one of the most important things and this is important to keep in mind they had to keep an eye on those oxygen and co2 levels because again this place is permanently sealed meaning it would gradually lose oxygen and they had to rely on their machines and the plants to provide that oxygen and again the, like those carbon dioxide levels that they put out are important for the plants so there's this very Special, very delicate, yeah. Uh, They also had a very sophisticated system that would regulate the internal temperature of the biosphere to help keep the animals good, keep the plants alive. So they're officially sealed off from the outside world. And if anything were to go wrong, the entire experiment was going to be terminated. It was either we're all in or fail. Because at this point, the media has blown this up so much that they don't want to be seen as cheating or like they want to do it all the way. And I mean, up till this point, like that's also how Johnny Allen has portrayed himself as a person. We're not going to fail. Everything's going to work. So they're they're inside. It's their first day. They're settling in. It's like this oasis. So a lot of the Biospherians said they felt like it was just a paradise for them. They were getting away from the outside world. It was like an incredible camping experience, basically. But that serenity would not last for long. (laughs) Because a lot of people were so curious they wanted to like tour the center. Tons of people would show up and like stand outside the glass and like watch them.
1: Oh, that kind of makes you feel like an like a zoo animal or something like that.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And it destroys the immersion. Yeah, yeah. And
0: I mean, i think it would also just make things more intense like you know people are like literally watching you they set up a visitor center there so they're like really they're hyping it up they want to bring people in scientists on the outside also start casting doubt publicly in the media on this experiment they were basically saying that this experiment was pointless because there were too many unknown variables and it would be impossible to duplicate this to like double check results. And even a former Biosphere 2 scientist named David Stumpf called the experiment nothing more than a trendy ecological entertainment.
1: So of like big brother yeah
0: yeah exactly that's actually really funny that you say that because there's an article that basically said like that this is like the craziest episode of big brother they'd ever heard of (laughs) So I got mixed reports on this. In the documentary, they say that this happened like eight months into the experiment. But then I was listening to something else. It was like a podcast that seemed like they had their sources together. They said this accident happened two weeks into the experiment. So very big differences here, and in my opinion, there is a lot of bias in the documentary. Like they make it seem like it's so pioneering. It's perfect. It's wonderful. They're all amazing. These scientists are so smart. They're so ethical. So I think that some of that was intentional and like they make it look like this whole journey was really smooth when it wasn't all that to say at some point in this experiment one of the people on the mission named jane pointer is doing her normal chores and she starts to thresh the grain and she's running it through a grain threshing machine and she is not paying attention and the tip of her finger gets caught in the threshing machine and she loses the tip of her finger so the group Is panicking and she's losing blood and there is a doctor there but if they treat her inside it could be dangerous like they are a little bit limited on their supplies and if they take her to a hospital it would breach their protocol the on-site medical officer tried to sew the tip of her finger back on but it turned black and shriveled up yeah so they decided that Jane needed to go to the hospital to see a hand surgeon. So I do think that was a good decision. But of course, this is going to blow up in the media. Yeah. Yeah, because they messed up. And what does the media do? Like, they love to harp on people's downfalls. One of the members would go with her to the hospital to basically make sure that nothing happened that could potentially hurt their experiment. Because the whole point is, like, everything that's in the biosphere has to stay in the biosphere. You can't bring outside equipment in, you can't bring in extra food. Like, she basically wants to make sure she doesn't do anything she's not supposed to.
1: Yeah, but. it it kind of like you said it was do or don't like Mm -hmm. it it kind of breaks the entire point of the experiment
0: well and at this point i think they were hoping that people didn't find out that she was going (laughs) she gets surgery on her hand and i guess they wanted to monitor her for a while she came back two days later but when she came back and this is confirmed there are photos of this she had two giant duffel bags and they say in the documentary that they have no idea what was in them and there's no way to know. But then other sources that I read said that there were like computer supplies in there. Like, like, yeah. So clearly, like, sorry, there is some cheating going on here as far as breaking protocols. If we want to be technical, like, if their original plan was to solely live off of what they had in there, they failed.
1: I mean,. <laughs> didn't the the president of Stanford just like resign from the school for like some sort of lying unethically in his research I think that just happened so I, I don't know what yeah, what research do I don't know? I don't know the specifics so maybe I shouldn't be bringing it up because I don't know anything it's <laughs> okay but it's like when someone makes any form of lie in their research like it breaks the entire thing yeah like, like, it it doesn't matter how good the results are exactly exactly
0: that is a huge theme in this is basically like a lot of people think because of how they handled it it caused way more problems the media does get word of this and there was this huge uptick afterwards and negative media coverage about biosphere 2 and there was this entire biosphere 2 team on the outside which we haven't really talked about yet but like that they called it their mission control team that was johnny allen margaret's on that team they are carefully analyzing and collecting data about Biosphere 2 while also handling the finances, and now they're starting to have to handle the press. So, Johnny and Margaret began to get really defensive in press coverage and paranoid, and they started becoming more
1: secretive. Okay, I mean, this sounds like a lot for two people to handle. Like, I, I'm i not surprised that this is starting to overwhelm
0: for sure so the media would also bring up johnny's past life on the commune and because this was the 90s there was a lot of like cult panic during that time like like this is when waco was going on this is when the rajneesh purim were operating i think too i think it was around like when heaven's gate came to a peak as well just basically there was a lot of cult activity going on and This made the media and the public even more uncertain of what exactly was going on in Biosphere 2 and whether or not this was some big scam. I mean, like you said, like you were like, this is out of like a movie. This is science fiction.
1: I'm still having a hard time believing that this is real. Like, it just sounds like impossible especially for these like random people who i mean i guess they were really smart but they don't necessarily have a background for doing this
0: yeah yeah no and i mean like it sounds like the people they brought in were professionals but at the same time it's just like i don't know how they got their start and how it came to it it just it doesn't sound possible with all the negative media coverage the people the biospherians inside they're like having basically these skype calls if you will with mission control team on the outside and they're talking to each other about all this crazy negative media and there's this big vibe change inside the biosphere too they're starting to get anxious a little depressed they're worried about everything and since jane the one who had cut her finger off since she had come back she had these restrictions on what she could do work-wise because of her hand so a lot of her work had been chores like farming stuff and so a lot of the other group they had to like pick up her responsibilities dr roy was not happy about this (laughs) he felt like this was taking precious time away from his research and of course you're seeing the same people day in and day out for two years so, of course, you're kind of getting sick of your roommates. And a lot is writing on this. So, there's going to be some arguments. Then there was another big problem. As they're running and analyzing their data every day, the crew realizes, for seemingly no reason at all, there has been a sudden spike in carbon dioxide levels and a sudden drop in oxygen levels. This makes sense because the crew. Had started to notice that they were getting very winded when they would try to go upstairs they were getting really short of breath they were fatigued they were tired so all of these are signs of not getting enough oxygen this got so bad that they couldn't go up to the library anymore to get books because it was really up high and they were getting way too winded and then at this point winter has also soon arrived So the days are shorter, it's getting dark, it's colder, there's less sun. So the crops, you know, they're shrinking, they're not yielding as much supply, or they're just dying. And the group started to have a lot more scarcity in their options for food. So some of the food that they had to eat, basically like whatever would grow, the few things that would grow, they were like, okay, this is what we're eating. So like every night they would have beets, or sweet potatoes or carrots, and that's pretty much all they could have.
1: It sounds like it's going downhill real fast.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this is where things kind of take a turn. So they had to eat sweet potatoes and carrots so much that they turned orange.
1: Wait, what, You that can happen to you? Yeah,
0: <laughs> I learned about this when I was a kid, and I thought it was a joke, but it's true. You can eat so much of it. It's like a chemical in it, it turns you orange beta-carotene. because of the beta-carotene chemical in sweet potatoes and carrots it like reacts with your skin somehow and when you have too much of it it turns you orange. in addition to this, dr. roy, like i said towards the beginning, he believed the secret to a long life was consuming like organic foods. he also believed in a low calorie diet. hence why he looked the way that he did. So he came to the conclusion, based on his research, that this was the best way to live, but all of his research was done on mice. So (laughs) mice are herbivores for the most part, I think. They, you know, have very different digestive systems than we do. That's all of his research. And don't get me wrong, like, there's been some great neurological research with mice, but it's just... It's not the same thing. It's not the same. It's dicey. Dr. Roy basically saw this as a perfect research opportunity. He has seven humans in front of him that are in a closed space with him that he can see if, like, a lot of his thoughts work. So the crew is
1: drastically. What? This just sounds like worse than the the biosphere experiment. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like, I know. None
0: of it sounds sound. <laughs> Well, and I'm sure, like, that they're not thinking super rationally either at this point. Oh,
1: true, because of the lack of oxygen. (laughs) Yeah, and
0: they're starving. They're drastically losing weight. So their first year, uh, each participant lost an average of 16% of their body weight. And there was one participant in the documentary that said he even did the math, and if he continued losing weight the way that he did, he would end up, by the end of the experiment, weighing negative 90 pounds. Uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) But he just ceased to exist. So it's not good. So they're all starving and Dr. Roy, this is so fucked up. He also, I know he did this to at least one woman on the team. He gave her advice that if she would just do like advanced yoga, she would gain better control of her breathing and she would waste less oxygen in the biosphere too. (laughs)
1: so helpful (laughs) mansplaining much
0: like I would be so pissed they're fatigued they're belligerent they're starving and the crew is for whatever reason casting all of their anger at this point at Johnny Allen I guess because like this was all his idea and he's on the outside he's not starving so yeah they're pretty angry at him They would have phone meetings with him and they would voice their concerns and according to some of the crew johnny would control who they could and couldn't talk to on the outside about their concerns with the experiment like you can't talk to the media you can't you know then the media got word of a co2 scrubber that had been purchased and put into biosphere 2 prior to launch day a machine that could remove CO2 from the air, and this would obviously take away from
1: the yeah. entire point of the experiment. Yeah, this, this entire experiment. is just like, they're just lying about all of it. Like, so yeah. what is the point of it if they're not proving anything?
0: Well, I guess that's kind of the question is, like, are they proving anything? Yeah. Like, some people think that this was this huge scientific, like, step and other people are like this is a failure like if you google it there's a lot of things in the media that are like this was a scam this was a failure different opinions but (laughs) members of the crew tried to justify this co2 scrubber because they said that it took out a very limited amount of co2 that wasn't anything significant like it wouldn't be life-altering it wouldn't like do anything significant according to them
1: then why didn't they say anything if it wasn't that big a deal
0: they didn't ask (laughs) just playing devil's advocate but (laughs) there are basically two different opinions as well within the biospherian team on how they should have handled the media so we were kind of talking about this earlier like a lot of people think this got blown up because they were being so secretive so there's this one group that was like we need to be more transparent we need to show the world they can trust us and that we know what we're doing and then other people were like we need to be secretive with what we're doing because the media, no matter what we say or do, they're gonna take it and twist it and they're gonna make people think that we failed.
1: I mean, that makes sense on both ends. Like I I can see why that was really hard to deal with, but it seems like regardless, they didn't make the right decisions. (laughs) Exactly.
0: So then they were also divided on how to handle this lack of food. So one half of the group basically they they were rationing at this point so they were following the protocols they would only have food from inside of biosphere 2 they conveniently did not mention this in the documentary the other half of the group from other sources allegedly ate beanstalks that they somehow acquired from outside of biosphere 2 oh that just magically appeared (laughs) cheating yeah (laughs) Um, So the people who did this were ordered to leave the facility, saying that they had broken protocol, but these Biospherians, we don't know which ones they were, but they refused because they said this would only make the media attention worse, and a psychologist even came in and evaluated the team because there was like so much drama, but this psychologist determined that it was just a typical power struggle, no one was in any imminent danger, I guess. They also, because of all of these fatigue issues and starvation and everything, they have a lot less energy. So they're having a hard time keeping up with their chores. Crops and plants are dying. The crew is also developing sleep apnea because their oxygen levels are so low it's
1: only gonna make the entire thing worse yeah
0: <laughs> newsflash if you have sl- sleep apnea like you can wake up and feel like shit that's why people need CPAP machines there was also this big explosion of greenhouse ants and cockroaches
1: <sighs>
0: and this would threaten diversity of the biomes like they can oh. kill a lot of these
1: different things yeah Sure that that messed up everything when it comes to the ecosystem. Like you yeah. introduce a completely different animal. Like
0: exactly. Like if you think about, like they hand selected these things so carefully. So when there was this huge explosion of these pests
1: like that can literally ruin their experiment. Yeah, which could have come from Jane leaving or it could have came from the mysterious beans that appeared. Mm-hmm. Or, that's know. true too. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's true. The roaches specifically were a huge problem. So I know I, I hate roaches. <laughs> Uh, They had to get really creative with roach traps because they have limited supplies. So they would take pieces of papaya that they had grown, and they would put it in these coffee cups. And then around the outside, they would smear KY jelly. The lube? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Don't ask me how or why they brought that in there. I mean, there's couples in there, but yeah they would put lube around the edge of the coffee cup to catch the roaches and then the next day they would like take the roaches and grind them up and they would use them as chicken feed
1: oh oh, okay okay i was like what are they doing with these roaches no they're not putting them in their coffee (laughs) what is that movie snow piercer have you seen that yeah. Yeah. With, uh shoot, who was it Chris Evans? Yeah, 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 and they make all the bars and food of food and a box. Yeah. Good movie. <laughs>
0: so on the outside again like scientists are continuing to weigh in there was the scientific committee that was developed it seems like it was developed by johnny allen and ed bass and they're working directly for biosphere 2 and they had of course all these different opinions on what to do with the experiment what to change if they should keep going if they should stop and johnny allen who was once the man with the plan Is starting to lose control. It seemed like there was this animosity now between Ed Bass and Johnny Allen, and the oxygen levels are continuing to plummet. And eventually, this was so dangerous that they had to get large oxygen tanks and start pumping in air from the outside world. (laughs)
1: Continuing to ruin what is left of this i mean yeah but it's also
0: like it's either that or they die at this yeah. point and it's like they're over a year in just let them out. <laughs> i don't think they wanted to leave i think that's the other thing like it's not like they're like banging on the doors begging to leave there was one biospherian in the documentary who said like the day that they were supposed to leave she did not want to leave crazy. it's giving stockholm syndrome <laughs> So <laughs> these tanks ultimately increased the oxygen inside by 10%, which is very significant. Again, it's over three acres, too. So these must have worked because magically the crew had energy again.
1: Wow, it's almost like that helps.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the documentary, you can see them, like, running around. They're dancing. They, like, have their affect back again. And it's like, wow, that's so wild how that works. <laughs> And this seems to be the final push that they needed because they were able to make it all the way through the experiment.
1: I thought they were gonna give up. I really thought they were gonna make it.
0: So, okay. This is the other thing that I found confusing. In the documentary, they make it seem like they went through the whole two years, it was one long experiment, two years like they planned. Other sources I read said that it was in two parts. They had a 10 month experiment and then they like stopped for a month or something and then they like did another year so there's different opinions on that which i found frustrating because like i want to know if they made it through the two years or not but in the documentary they very much made it look like they made it all the way through and i was like wow they did it and then i was like hearing other things that said they were like no like it was 10 months um so i don't know to be honest but in 1993 we know that the experiment ended and it was like to the day of when it first started and the eight biospherians would exit biosphere 2 they were welcomed by a cheering crowd a warm speech from Jane Goodall yeah she is an English primatologist for people who don't know but she's pretty famous and the main experiment ended but They wanted to collect data afterwards to basically learn like, how were the plants doing? How was everything thriving at this point? Biosphere 2, this outside team came in, they collected data and the team thought that this was a huge success and a big part of history for the scientific community. That's how they portray it anyway. But on April 1st, 1994, police showed up at Biosphere 2. The employees were locked out of their offices, and the media began to take hold of a new story. Ed Bass had obtained a court order ousting the six managing officers of the project. Among the six managing officers booted out were Johnny Allen and Margaret. They were completely prohibited from occupying the premises. Ed Bass... (laughs) was basically tired of the bad press. This is what people think. And he wanted to like come in and clean up and find a way to make Biosphere 2 more profitable again.
1: How did he think this was going to be profitable in the first place? You'll see.
0: He brought in bankers, people from Wall Street, (laughs) and they were obviously very focused on making money, like if these are the people you're bringing in. All the data they had collected during that two years was either destroyed or locked up and we don't know where which sucks like what was the point of Exactly. So, like, no experiment had ever been done like this. And then, like, they did all this work, they build everything, they collect all the data, and then it's just gone. So, obviously, the Biospherians, Johnny Allen, like, they're completely devastated. That's terrible. I do feel for them in that regard. But at the same time, it's like, they didn't do it completely honestly. I'm sure it's a lot of he said, she said. But, again, like, we know who the Bass family is. Yeah. So there's definitely I think they had a big part to play in this Is all I'm saying They also got a new CEO for Biosphere 2 Named Steve Bannon
1: The, the, the guy from the Government?
0: Like. Yeah, that one <laughs> uh, As in the one who was Briefly a White House chief strategist yes. For Donald Trump yes.
1: That's, how I know that name. That's
0: the one Yeah, he did not last long As CEO, but Um, Yeah, he would later serve as the White House chief strategist for Trump. And during this time, Steve Bannon was running Fannin, which was a Beverly Hills investment banking firm. It was kind of the end of the original project. Like, it stopped being, in my opinion, about, like, the earth and green and sustainability. And it was more about, but how can we make money? Yeah. So, a lot of people were upset about this. They tried to start a new project, kind of like another Biosphere 2 launch, when Steve Bannon took over, and this lasted about 10 months. So I think this is that mixed opinions of like, did we go two years or not? The original Biospherians, my understanding is they were still in this project, the new one, and they weren't happy about this change. And so it's said, allegedly, that two of the Biospherians, Abigail Alling and Mark Van Thillo, that married couple, yeah, yeah, or I'm assuming they were married, they were together, but they allegedly directly interfered with the mission when they opened a double airlocked door and three emergency exits, leaving the main doors open for 15 minutes to let outside air in. Alling would later say in an interview with the Chicago Tribune that she felt the mission and the Biospherians were in jeopardy and she felt the need to act quickly and give the staff an option to leave. So he said she said this kind of marks when things fell apart and this was no longer like a space mission. Bannon ultimately left the company. He was sued later for abusive processes by former crew members including Abigail. Oh wow. Yeah, so allegedly he abused people and the plaintiffs did win. They were paid $600,000 by Space Biosphere Ventures. So I
1: mean, if he was convicted, I think they had enough evidence. Yeah. How much worse was the second one that they were like they weren't even as resistant in the first one where they were starving? how yeah. bad the second one of well, I think they wanted
0: it so badly and they knew that they were working for Johnny Allen. Whereas then this like new money guy comes in and they're like what the hell like this is not what we signed up for yeah. so I, I do get that to wrap things up here there's a lot of different ways that you can spin this because there's a lot of different allegations and of course the media blew this up they could have twisted things so you might think that Johnny Allen had cult like tendencies and he just wanted to build his own little utopia and be in control You know there's the mice in the maze and he's controlling it you might think he got high on power um you might be like me and think of him as more of an eccentric robin williams-esque type of guy um that just made some wrong decisions and he followed
1: the money and he got burned yeah i mean he's definitely not ed bass like he did he at least didn't seem to come off as like only going for profit
0: right yeah. In my opinion he definitely had good intentions. So you might think things could have worked out a lot differently had he not got involved with Ed Bass. You might think it never would have worked at all though if it weren't for him because of
1: the money. Yeah who? someone had to pay for it. Yeah.
0: Uh you might think this was a failed experiment. A pop culture punchline like so many people in the media spun it. Because after all, in order to completely succeed, the Biospherians had to bring in outside resources. But I personally like to think of it as an example of incredible human resilience, teamwork. We're way more capable than we realize as human beings. So it is, it is pretty cool. Like we talked about in the beginning, like they literally learned how to do all of these things on their own. I think Biosphere 2, can be seen as a big step for science it has given us more information about climate change too and put us that much closer maybe to being able to live in space someday
1: yeah it's not like failed experiments are necessarily completely useless yeah Yeah.
0: and like when i was showing you the maps earlier biosphere 2 is still intact to this day you can go tour it i definitely want to go now and there is continues to be a variety of plants inside There's no longer animals, just tons of insects. (laughs) Research projects continue to be done inside as well, hence the profitability. Regarding the OG Biospherians, a lot of them have grown old together, and they live on a ranch together.
1: Okay, well I guess they, they at least, their relationship survived.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of sweet they even plan to rebuild the heraclitus their ship how old are they now (laughs) so let me double check but when i was googling johnny allen or in the documentary he was in his 90s wow let me see let me see if this says when he was born okay so he yeah he's 94. yeah he's still alive there is a website where they're like basically doing like kind of a gofundme but fancier to build the heraclitus and it has plans to relaunch in 2024
1: okay i guess we'll see if that's successful yeah
0: and they are planning to do theater again on the ship (laughs)
1: that never dies theater never dies
0: and that is the story of biosphere 2.
1: that was a incredible story i still can't believe that's not you, I can't believe it didn't just go psych that was a fan fiction I wrote. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> I know. I just
0: think it's a really cool story. It's like, what do you think? Like, do you think it was a failed experiment? Like, just
1: what, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, I like, like I said, I, I, even if it is failed, which I, I do kind of think that it failed. Like, yeah, fair. I don't think that is necessarily useless. Like, I think you can take a lot from it to try to make a more practical version of the same experiment. But like you said before, sometimes history, like there's so many variables, like maybe you could learn to limit a lot more of the variables. But I mean ultimately, like you said, it's a story about human resilience and it tells you a lot just about people and the lengths that they're willing to go to either for fame or for human the human need to like know
0: something. Yeah, or like the betterment of humanity. Like and I think for me it depends on how you define failure cuz like look, they did break protocols. So if we're going to be really technical scientifically, they did fail in my opinion. But for the betterment of science for, of science as a whole, I think there was definitely some success and i mean like i said like they're still doing research projects there to this day they take students there they do like different i guess programs where they like train them there on like different things and like i think they do like externships there for different colleges and stuff so like it's really cool and like i mean as far as i know there's no other place in the world like this I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with my very special guest one of my best friends jasmine thank you so much for coming
1: yes, on the podcast it was so much fun i had a great time thank you
0: Absolutely. Anytime, now that we've kind of got things figured out with the... Guys, you have no idea what we've been through today with the recording. <laughs> We're tired, but we did have fun. Um, and like I said, if you guys enjoyed this episode, um, please tell your friends, tell the world, tell your family, leave a five-star review, please. You guys have no idea. It helps the show so, so much. And if you're watching on YouTube, you know you can hit that subscribe button um don't forget to get your merch baby get your perplexity merch and if you do tag me on instagram i want to see you in your merch and you can always request topics you can share crazy stories if you know more about the bass family or the biospherians email me perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail.com and i think that about wraps it up um oh quick shout out i have new listeners in south africa And I wanted to remember that. So that's either 26 or 27 countries now that are listening. So that's so freaking cool. Shout out South Africa. Thank you so much for listening. And um, I hope you guys have a great week. You're all amazing. I will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.